0: Welcome everybody to the Cone of Shame veterinary podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Work. Guys, I am back with my good friend, Dr. Emily Tencher. We are talking about spectrum of care, making teams more efficient. People talk about, hey, uh, you know, I understand the need for a spectrum of care. We wanna keep care accessible. We wanna make sure that we uh, provide the best options for treatment given where different patterns are and that they have different experiences and they face different challenges. I get that, but how do we keep our teams working efficiently while being flexible in this way? And guys, that's what we get into today. It's a great episode. I hope you'll enjoy it. I hope you get a lot out of it. Thanks to Nationwide for making this episode possible ad-free. Guys, let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame
1: with Dr. Andy
0: Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Emily Tinscher. How are you? I'm
1: great. Thanks so much for having me back, Andy.
0: Oh man, I always love our conversations. You're so fun to talk to. Uh, For those who don't know you, you are the Senior Director of Pet Health at Nationwide. Uh, You and I have known each other for at least a dozen years now. Uh, You were involved in the Veterinary Business Management Association as a student, as was I, and uh, we have been friends ever since you got into that program many years ago. And so now you are changing the world. You are doing a lot of speaking on spectrum of care, which is something that I'm really excited about, and access to care. Um, And so a lot of my... If you listen to the podcast, I do talk a lot about access to care because it is something that's important to me. And so, anyway, I love having you here. Uh, thanks for coming on. How is everything going with you?
1: It's going great. I, I love talking about Spectrum of Care with you. I also love uh, just listening in and learning from the podcast, especially around communications in the exam room, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about today, too. So fun.
0: Yeah. Well, you're very kind. But yes, I do love that stuff. All right. Well, let's, let's get into it a little bit because I, I want to jump in. So, one of the things that, that I want to talk with you about. Today is uh, general price increases in veterinary medicine. So, so I've seen. Um, we've we've had uh, guests on the podcast before, and we've talked about generally. We're looking at at numbers in, across the nation. Number of of pet appointments is down a bit, and prices per appointment has gone up so we're not seeing a decrease in revenue we're just seeing uh an, an increase in in sort of per appointment prices and stuff like that and so i know at at nationwide you guys are getting claims you're seeing this does that kind of jive with what you're seeing as far as pricing in, in our profession
1: it does and we're seeing that for a number of reasons and certainly our nationwide claims data where we uh, process a lot of claims every year for over 1 million pets that are insured actively But we also see that just looking across um, various data sources. So one of them is the Consumer Price Index, for example, which is way outside of veterinary medicine in what they monitor. But veterinary services are one of 200 categories that they look at. And uh, we've, we've seen... The consumer price index for veterinary services was pretty significantly uh, higher than the rest of the consumer price index for 2022, for example. Uh, Prices went up by over 11% in that year, which is um, pretty significant.
0: What are the main drivers? Like, what is what is pushing prices up? Is it is it uh, are we doing different kinds of services? Is it just straight up increases in uh, pricing technology? Uh, is, it, is it labor? Where are the main drivers of of these of these price increases?
1: The great question. I think it's one that we again have to look at multiple data sources to understand. And our, I think our partners at VetSource do a really awesome job trying to explain this and a lot of industry leaders that are looking at our workforce crisis, for example. So how do we um, help to, to support both um, recruitment and also retention of our staff members? That's a driver, it's, it's one of the reasons, but we also know, especially during COVID, kind of the prices for uh, pulling in the goods that we need to, to do our jobs every day. They changed, they went up a little bit more than we saw before the pandemic. And there are probably other things, too. You know, we have um, the way that we practice medicine has changed in the last 10 years, whether that's, you know, adapting business models, whether that's, um, you know, and we can talk about things like stratification or really knowing honing in on who your client is, which I think you've done a really awesome job in in a a lot of platforms, Um, just understanding the complexities for this, like, it get it can get hard quickly to think about. It's helpful to for me to simplify it down to, there are a lot of reasons why this is happening. Cost is increasing, amongst other reasons that pet owners are feeling the change, but the result is pet owners are feeling that. And to your point about we're not decreasing revenue, we're actually increasing it in the vet profession, but we are decreasing in visits. And the year of 2022 saw um, not just because of of costs I want to um, inappropriately correlate those, the seventeen percent decrease in visits compared to a year over year compared to twenty twenty one which is pretty significant as well yeah it, it
0: is it is significant. When you think of like twenty twenty one was kind of post pandemic people coming back, like you should you should think our visit count would be would be going up as opposed to as opposed to down. yeah, that that. Bothers me when we start start to look about it. When we start to look at it, I I think I think everyone who's who's been in vet medicine, whether they're a technician or a doctor, or even probably someone at the front desk, has has at some point felt a a pinch where you feel like I'm here because I want to help. Like that's an important part to me. And when people say to me, "I can't afford this," or or uh, or they just they. One of the reasons that we get asked for advice all the time, I think, is that people are like, "I don't want to go to the vet and then and have to pay this money." Like, I think people are trying to figure out how to get around going into the vet, kind of more and more, and and it bothers me because I don't want to be the vet police who's like, "Don't," I'm not helping you. You need to go to the clinic. And at the same time, I go, um, I, I I can empathize with with them and sort of say, you know, I. Uh, I I get it, you know. I, we don't. It's not easy to to throw around a couple hundred bucks every time you know your pet throws up on the carpet, and so I I, I get it. But but we've all been kind of stuck there. I think that's why a lot of us get frustrated when people say, well, "I don't understand why you won't why you won't just give me advice on the phone," or I you know I don't understand why you know you told me to go into the clinic as opposed to to just <laughs> taking care of this here here at our dinner party. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I. I I, I feel like that's a. I feel like that's a real pain point.
1: It's a pain point from multiple perspectives. Again, from that from the pet family side of things, we know from a, a couple of reports that as little as two hundred to three hundred dollars in an unexpected veterinary expense can be really stressful, and for a lot of families across the U.S., uh, something greater than five hundred dollars uh, can throw a pet family into debt, which is um, I don't think a lot of us would expect necessarily, but. Um, the data and the Access to Care Coalitions report, for example, says that um, about three quarters of middle-income families still live paycheck to paycheck, and so things like the the unexpected, especially for for pets, it's a little bit easier sometimes to plan for wellness. But the unexpected of you know we gotta we gotta figure out this this um, you know vomiting dog on the carpet. Uh, we got it's happened five times today. We've got to go figure this out and, and help the pet out. That gets that gets really hard for people, and so. I think even bringing that into our staff and saying, you know, they they also struggle with that. I know um, one of the questions that's been rattling around in my head a lot since the Uncharted conference in April was uh, our, our mutual friend, Dr. Adam Little, he asked a question in his session, and it was his first question of uh, kind of talking about costs for for pet owners. And, and he kind of flipped it on its head and said, um, you know, who... Do we agree with the statement across a range and ask everybody to get up and kind of move around and then have a conversation in the room? Do we agree or disagree with the statement that our staff should be able to afford the most expensive levels of care that we offer? And usually the most expensive, often correlating with the most advanced or kind of you know gold standard level care. And it was it really started some really interesting conversations of, we we are, uh, us uh, in vet med, we are the people that we serve sometimes. And uh, I know for me, when I worked at a specialty hospital, I could, I, as a veterinarian, couldn't have afforded uh, a lot of the estimates that I sometimes handed out. And so that brings us back a little bit to the idea of, okay, okay, we we know costs are rising, but we also know the level of care that we can offer is rising. Those things together really make These conversations around cost of care so uncomfortable, especially if the care being offered isn't something that the person talking about it, the technician in the exam room talking about it also couldn't afford.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, there's that credibility issue too. Like we talk about exam room, uh, communication stuff all the time. And one of those credibility is to, is to be able to say, even if you don't say it outwardly, the fact that I do this from my own pet let, lets me talk with an ease where I can sort of say, yeah, I, I want my talk here. This is something I actually do. Uh, it, it's, it's important psychologically. I, I have thought a lot about that over the years because, you know, what does it mean to say, um, this is the standard that we believe? is required to be a good pet owner. And your technicians are like, I can't I can't do that for you know, for all of my pets. And and I, I don't know I don't know where I'm at. now there are some there are some technicians that have thirty seven pets and I'm like, well that's that's a whole different thing. You can't have Noah's Ark and and make me feel bad. Because because uh, because parasiticides are expensive. Yeah,
1: where's the? But cow? yeah, exactly
0: right. No, it's all it's all shades of gray when you get into it. But I do I do really feel like at some fundamental level, like I want the people working in the clinic to say, yeah, I do this stuff. Because otherwise, you know, you get this cognitive dissonance where you're like, man, all day long, I tell people how important this is, but I don't do it for my own pets. Which either means that I'm lying to them, or it means that I'm not a good pet owner. And or, or I'm not doing something that's important. And that's the mental trap that people get into. it It hurts people. And so that's that is, um, I've wrestled with that for a long time. as as cost of care continues to go up, and at the same time, you know you talked about, you know about the the labor shortage and and trying to keep people in, uh, even before the labor shortage, like we we have radically underpaid people in our profession for a long time, and there's sort of this ethical, you know, wrestling for the steering wheel of you know what 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 is the greater good? Is the greater good to extract revenue so that we can pay our people a higher salary, or is it to not extract uh, a higher pay point to is to keep care as priced as low as possible and to let our our people let our people eat ramen noodles? And and again, I, I think I, I think it's easy to think that way, and we've kind of wrestled over that. I, I, I like to believe that there are some solutions in the middle.
1: Yeah, I think there's a, a lot to unpack in what you said there. So that idea of if our staff can't access or the average pet owner is stressed by accessing the um, the level of care that we're offering, maybe an alternative, it comes back to that idea of, well, we don't all have to want or access the same level of care. And what does it look sure. like to provide instead and and recommend actively a spectrum of care, to say we have a range of options across basic to advanced that we can tailor these solutions to whatever the pet family's goals, values, and resources, of course, including finances. we're talking about cost of care today. How do we kind of tailor those conversations as efficiently as possible? Um, and to your to your point about underpaying, I think especially our staff, our our technical staff, how do we, Work so that we collaborate with them to let them work to the very best of their ability, and then also compensate them appropriately for doing that.
0: Yeah, that's kind of where I want to go with you today specifically. And so I, I'm really interested in this because we've you and I've talked a, a lot about running vet practice for a long time. And I think that we're pretty much in alignment that vet medicine is a team game. and as as a doctor and and you uh, you worked as emergency doctor for many years, leveraging your technicians is smart medicine, right? it's It's how we, Get things done, and so I want to, you know, I, I want I want well leveraged text. I want consistent communication. I want the pet owners to kind of get a plan, and I don't want them to feel like they got told one story, and then fun Andy shows up and tells them a different story. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? And and then yeah. and then people at the front desk tell them a third story. I really want us as communication to be on the same page. And at the same time, I I really like this idea of meeting people where they are. And trying to talk about what what the individual person's needs are inside the context of what we do in our practice, and trying to say, okay, given what your needs are, and given uh, wh- who our practice is and how we practice, you know, kind of what is, what is the Venn diagram overlap there where we say, aha, your needs are getting met and our needs are getting met to you know to feel good about the work that we're doing, and and this works for everybody. And so, how do I how do I set myself up to take advantage of? A well leveraged staff, consistent communication, things like that, and then also sort of have this flexibility, kind of try to meet people where they are and understand what's happening. Like, c- can we start to talk about what that looks like in practice?
1: Yeah, I think it might be helpful to break it down into two pieces a little bit. So let's talk a little bit about um, leveraging the staff first, uh, since we're talking about kind of dollars and cents and pay- paying our staff appropriately. Why don't we? Why don't we start there? I think. Um, one of the things that we always really try and do here at Nationwide is not advocate for something that we don't see an evidence base for. Um, And so leaning on what do do we know um, as far as research or um, case studies that we can lean on. And I think what's really tricky when we start to talk about workforce is, you know, I'm sure we have some listeners now that are thinking, yeah, it would be great to leverage technicians, but I can't find any. None of them want, none of them are available. Um, and I am desperate to to hire, uh, or potentially even willing to pay for their training so that I can find them. Um, so I hear you and acknowledge that. Um, it is a challenge that we have to find uh, licensed or credentialed technicians. The other challenge that we have though is retention of them in the field. And if we look at a study that uh, NAVTA conducted, I I think in 2016, a couple of years ago, they they asked technicians, what's the greatest reason that you leave? The field of veterinary medicine, and um, do you have you are you familiar with that one? What what, what kind of pops to the top of your mind of why they might leave?
0: Oh yeah, so there was um, not being able to work at the top of their skills. I think was one, or like no no developmental path, right? Wasn't that one of the big ones? Career path. The pay was on there. Of pay, course, pay is of but, yeah.
1: course on there, but it's actually not number one. <laughs> number one is exactly what you said first: is utilization of their skills to the maximum amount, um, and then and actually recognition like feeling like they're seen and valued was in the top five too. So those, those very quickly kind of all come together. So yes, we have a problem when we need more technicians, but we also need them to stay. And so I think part of what our conversation can be here is like, how do we, how do we do, how do we say, okay, we understand those are some of the reasons you're leaving. Let's uh let's talk about how to get you to stay in a way that helps uh vet healthcare teams to be able to provide more care to be able to hopefully be a little bit more efficient and have to see a few more appointments, but also do so profitably. Um, so I think that's really interesting is there's uh, a, another JAVMA study from a, a couple of years ago that, and I think it's an older one, a 2010 or, or 12. We'll find it for the show notes of if you have a credentialed technician, uh, they can Contribute. I think it's like ninety-three thousand dollars a year to profitability in a general practice if they're leveraged well. Um, pretty significant improvement in the value from a from a business owner, from a business manager perspective to have and to use those technicians as much as we possibly can. We also in our our college program where we speak uh, on behalf of nationwide to all of the vet schools across the U.S. This. This last spring, so our partnership with the VBMA, where we met, one of our team members, Dr. Kristen Walker, built out a case study of, okay, what does it look like to not leverage technicians in a way that we probably have all seen? Uh, and so what she built out was looking at a really common problem, ear infections, and it's always in the top five for uh, the most frequent claims for us, for dogs, top 10 for cats too, actually, every year is ear infections. Okay. So we know it's common. Uh, we know that general practices and me in emergency and urgent, e- urgent care are seeing these. So this is a universal problem in companion animal medicine. So what are, what are we typically doing for ear infection?
0: Yeah, right. So ear cytology, ear cleaning. Yeah. yeah. No, nothing um, crazy. Ear medications. Ear, so,
1: medications, ear yeah. medications, ear cleaning, probably. Po-
0: possibly a culture, but, but it, you know, it depends on what we see and probably not.
1: Yeah, pro- probably not. But but possibly we are, especially if it's a chronic case, we might consider something like that. Um, but minimally, most of the time, not not always, but a lot of the time, we're going to do an ear cytology. Okay, great. So we've done an ear cytology. Um, who's doing that in most cases in your experience? Oh,
0: man, this is hard. So I've been spoiled. I have great technicians. So it's always, it's always been my technicians. But I know a lot of places that it's not true.
1: Yeah, I I've been really spoiled too, um, and but I've also been uh, as a relief vet at some practices that are really short-staffed. And so, um, let's imagine we're at one of those, or somebody's day, you know, PTO, or we're we're maybe in a practice that sometimes we're we're doing great and having the technicians or the assistants being the ones that are uh, taking the cytology, preparing it, and then uh, hopefully our technicians are are reading that. Well, if we're not. If a veterinarian is the one uh, doing that, and some, I've definitely done it myself, preparing that slide, going and looking at it, reading it, and then saying, okay, we have a, a bacterial infection in this Labrador's ears. It doesn't feel like a big impact. And if you do it on occasion, it's, it's pitching in and helping, right? If you make that systemic, if you start to do that every day, Every week, every month, the case study that Dr. Walker built out for us says that you can pretty quickly lose up to about twenty-four hundred dollars a week in revenue by just not by veterinarians doing tests like that, putting in catheters, other things that our technical staff are much honestly better at than doing uh, than me for sure. All of that adds up pretty quickly, and. From a, a business profitability perspective, there's um, we can see where that's going, but then from a having to pass on that cost of the veterinarian's time to the pet owner perspective, it doesn't just stop at us. It doesn't just stop with technicians feeling under, underutilized. We also have to pay for that veterinarian's time somehow. And if we're chronically, systemically using veterinarians or sometimes licensed technicians in place of assistance where cleaning kennels, uh, perhaps... Um, that has knock-on impacts to really making it more difficult for pet families as well.
0: Yeah, I I, I like that a lot. Just as far as increasing efficiency, and and you've got to look at at where do you need your people to be. I I have a hundred percent seen practices. I used to do uh, relief work as well. I have a hundred percent seen practices that were short staffed, and they were very nice practices. Don't get me wrong, but the the vet would swap the ear and do the cytology, and then the technician or assistant it would be an assistant. The assistant would hold the pet while the vet cleaned the ear. And I'm like, oh man, you guys are putting in, you know, the vets here doing doing this, you know, the actual technical, 100% the technical work of the case. And I go, this, is, this has got to be a, a smarter way to use this doctor's time for the benefit of, of the practice and also for the pets. Talk, you know, talk to me a little bit um, when we talk about efficiency. And I really like where you're sort of going as far as, you know, letting technicians work at the top of their license is a big way that we retain them. You know, a big part of Spectrum Care that I think is really interesting is the communication aspect. It's how we talk to people about what they need and where they're going and and where we sort of understand, um, you know, what support. To, what support are they looking for? What support, what, what ways can we support them and things like that? Can you talk to me a little bit about using your paraprofessionals, your your um, your room assistants, or especially your technicians in those types of conversation? What does that look like in a well-leveraged practice?
1: Yeah. And it's an, another great place that we can lean on some already published data and then talk about the future as well. So in 2022, there's a, a another another Javma publication about the ability and kind of engagement from pet owners when discussing care plans, when there's some involvement from the veterinarian and some involvement from the technician, that it has this additive effect of really helping pet owners to feel like they understand the value, they understand the buy-in. And kind of to your point from earlier, they're not hearing two different stories from uh, across the practice. And so how do we how do we talk to pet owners in a way it, that makes them feel like they know what their options are across that spectrum of care like again back to the basic to advanced these are some of the options these are some of the pros and cons that are associated with that and then how do we do that in as efficient a way as possible well one of the things that we've done here at Nationwide is to say that's a pain point and how how can we help understand Kind of the subconscious drivers behind what people are looking for in pet healthcare. So we conducted some research that we've talked a little bit about before to understand that really there are kind of three different groups of people across demographics and what they're what they're looking for. And we're really advocating what we'll be um, working on a, a tool that'll be released later this year, but really advocating for involving the whole team with those conversations. We can set it up. Sometimes it depends a little bit on the setting you're in. If you're in a wellness situation in general practice, we can really have that education in advance. And our technical staff can have most of that conversation already of like, you know, what, what is it that is is helping this pet family to make their decision? Are they a, a cost focused family or are they a group that's really focused on convenience and their decision making? Those are the two of the three and helping to identify, okay, which what what kind of things that does this particular pet family value? And then I can talk to them about the pros and cons of, you know, two or three options that we might have for wellness. Sometimes from a, a sickness perspective, something's wrong. Sometimes it can be a little bit easier for the veterinarian to enter into that conversation first and say, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, we've, we have a pet here that is vomiting on the carpet five times. And, you know, we, we can do things like based on the history you're telling based on the physical of what i'm seeing we're going to tailor it down to to you know these three stepwise options or go full tilt um and and go go get an abdominal ultrasound after we do some blood work you know we, we can pull those together sometimes as a vet first um, but then following up with the details of um and and kind of the validation helping our technical staff to feel Like they have permission to not just push the most advanced level of care is is helpful too. again, coming back to the very beginning of our conversation of. If if what we're asking them to always recommend may not be even accessible to our teams, really, uh, how do we feel comfortable instead offering offering those options? And doing it in a non-judgmental way, our team can really, really help with that.
0: Yeah, that, that's that's fantastic. No, I, I completely agree. It's going to drive me absolutely nuts. The three the three types of people there's the cost conscious person, the convenience conscious person. What is the third one? I'm I'm trying. Is it the care co- the care focused person? What is it?
1: Yeah. Okay, I thought It's so. an optionality focused person, so they really want to know what all their options are. Um, choice, if you like, to turn it into three C's, uh, which is kind of you know that little branding and and marketing working there, but the the evidence base that 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 last group they're a little bit more complicated they really want to hear more about well your chances of you know success with parvo are are nine out of ten if we do this and not everyone not everyone needs that level or wants that level of conversation but i think employing our technicians who can have that level of conversation when they're experienced and they've they've been With us and in, you know, sometimes if they're new grads, just like vet new grads, they they need to come in the room with us and hear us have those conversations. But um, they they can, and if Javma's publication about kind of the willingness for pet owners to buy in is, if we take that as true, they need to be part of those conversations.
0: Yeah, no, you are such a wealth of information. I've got. I'm gonna. Be getting links from you uh, to to the wealth of of, uh, of resources that you mentioned today. Is there anything else that you recommend for people? Are there any resources that we didn't talk about that you really particularly like?
1: Yeah, I think it's um, I think just deciding how how is it and having that conversation with your practice. If if you're not yet talking about a spectrum of care, or you know, we don't always have to to call it that. Really, just offering that range of options. That's just a term so we can all talk about something that many of us have been practicing for a long time, how do we make sure that we're all on the same page as a practice to say, yes, we, we agree with this. We wanna meet pet families where they are. Um, whether we do it or not, pet families, are they're they're gonna ask for options. And so how do we just take that barrier down and and, um, and proactively do that? We have uh, our, our own website, uh, spectrumofcare.com, uh, that we can include in the show notes as well to, kind of helps talk about some of those concepts and how you might talk about it with your team and it will be uh, growing with more resources coming later this year.
0: That's fantastic. Where can, uh, where can people find you online, Emily?
1: Uh, they can, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn, so it's probably a reasonable place, but um, yeah, I love, love chatting with people and uh, you can find me in the Uncharted community as well.
0: Yeah, cool. <laughs> All right, awesome. Thanks for being here. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, everybody take care of yourselves. Thanks again, Emily, for being here. Thanks for having me. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Thanks to Emily for being here and being my guest. As always, she's amazing. Thanks to Nationwide for making the podcast possible ad-free. Uh, guys, thanks to you for uh, your time and attention. I hope that you guys will be well. I hope you have a great day. See you later. Bye.